So Money Episode 199, Philip Taylor. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for joining me. Today, I'm interviewing blogger and FinCon founder, Philip Taylor. His blog is ptmoney.com and FinCon is at finconexpo.com. It is now, I believe, in its fifth year. In 2007, Philip created his blog to share his experiences trying to get out of debt and building his savings and getting educated on personal finance. And even though he had finance in his blood, his father was a CPA, already had a career as a CPA himself doing financial auditing and public accounting, he still needed to learn more about money. But he quickly took control of his financial life and turned his situation around, blogging about it all the way. And several years later, he created FinCon, an annual conference for financial bloggers in the fall, which I have attended a few times. I was the keynote speaker last fall, and I have to say it was the place where I was really inspired to start podcasting for reels. Philip has also written for U.S. News and World Report. He's written for TurboTax, several other prominent places. He's also made some TV appearances. He generates his income entirely from his blog. That's pretty impressive uh, because a lot of you write in and say, how do I monetize a blog? Philip's been doing this since 2007. He was able to quit his day job and just do this solely. And he focuses on saving for early retirement, growing his businesses, investing in real estate, and investing in his family. That's Those are his priorities. So in the conversation with Phil, we talk about when he started the blog in 2007, how it was different then versus now, and how he was ultimately able to grow that into a full-fledged business. We talk about this really interesting phenomenon that I think a lot of us can relate to. I definitely went through this and sometimes still go through this. It's like when you feel entitled to spend, you know, like I deserve that. What is that feeling really about? Ever feel that way? Like you deserve something because you worked hard or because you reached a certain level in your life and that you should have a certain shiny object or a certain brand name, blah, blah, blah. Or, I mean, I know a lot of you on this podcast who listen are more mature than this, but let's, you know, as human beings, sometimes we have these moments where we feel like we should have a certain lifestyle because we've worked hard. And if the money's not there, maybe we'll put it on a credit card. Philip definitely went through this and he talks about it. And then we talk about the future of FinCon. So Philip started this in 2011 and it's been growing in scale and in status and in scope ever since. And he actually shares some breaking news with us, a plan that he's never shared before regarding the future of FinCon that is really exciting and really relates to you. So stay tuned. Here we go. Philip Taylor Unleashing. Philip Taylor, PT Money. Welcome to So Money. I have to say your FinCon has been the inspiration for me to start this podcast. So I bow to you. Thank you so much for all the work that you do, PT, and welcome to the show. Wow, Farnoosh. Thank you. You're so money and you don't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I've been waiting to say that. Ever oh, since, uh, well, thank you. you. Named your podcast, uh, 
so money. So but money. yes, you're the first guest to say that, by the way. Believe it <laughs> or mean, not, you know the reference. Obviously, yes, of right? course, Swingers. Yes. yes. Well, One of my favorite movies. Yes, yes. I think it's a more of a guy culture, though, that movie. I don't. I'm, I know a lot of guys who love that movie, but I love the saying, and it's it's stuck. So welcome to the yeah. show. and well, It's an honor to be on, um, and I'm a huge fan of you and what you do, and yeah, so happy to be here. Well, we're all fans of PT Money here at So Money. Uh, of course, you before you had FinCon, and you were at the helm of this amazing conference that uh, allows financial bloggers and everyone in, that's interested in money and for the financial space to, con- to con- sort of meet and um, network and learn and engage. You have been doing this great blog since 2007 called PT Money. You are a certified public accountant. You started blogging early on, I should say, relatively early. I mean, talk about perhaps the the advantage that you had starting a blog in 2007. Uh, if you had to start a blog today, probably you would approach it a lot differently, right? Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I really, um, I knew a little bit about the the internet and doing blogging because I had kind of had a running blog before that point. I'd been tinkering with websites and things before that point, but it was 2007 when I actually started PT Money. Um, and uh, it was just something that was kind of an outpouring of me consuming personal finance information uh, for, for a couple of years. So I wasn't this writer or creative type really, um, but I was consuming a lot of personal finance information. I was reading David Bach. I was reading Dave Ramsey. Just and then I discovered these blogs, you know. And so um, these people were just sharing their personal anecdotes. Uh, it, I could connect to the stories. Um, and this was probably the 2004 or five time frame. I was uh, getting engaged, getting married, and so like really getting my financial situation fixed from a ser- you know real seriously. Um, you know, it just kind of brought this topic to the forefront for me. I mean, I was I'm a CPA, so I have like some of the tax and investing stuff down, but daily money management uh, was something that I was lacking. And so I discovered that through this creative outlet, this Mm -hmm. blog, that I was able to kind of express those ideas, kind of discover what I truly believed about money. And it held me accountable to making like real quick, vast improvements in my financial situation. Um, And I learned how to blog too. So yeah, uh, it's it's been a cool journey. Well, let's talk about the journey and some of the uh, breakthroughs that you've had, the financial breakthroughs, starting with what is your financial philosophy and, and how has it changed since you've been blogging and been experiencing this, this environment, this, you know, this world of personal finance since 2007 in, in this way? Yeah. So if I had to pick, I guess, one thing that was my philosophy, I would say it's pay yourself first. And I'm not sure if you've had anyone else kind of share that as their philosophy, but that that's something that stuck with me. And it's something that's really worked with me. Um, because like I said, I'm, I'm kind of come from a financial background. I kind of have my ducks in a row from taxes and investing and stuff, but I was never really, I never really felt like I was able to kind of get ahead with my financial life until I started applying this philosophy. Um, it seems like everyone wants your money, mm-hmm. including you, your future self or your selfish, the ver- selfish version of you wants your money. Um, and wants to take that money and, and do something else with it before you get your hands on it, before you could do something with it. So I don't know, that's just become like very important in my life for me to actually be proactive, be, uh, take initiative, take the, uh, the intentional act of, of paying myself first in, in every sense of that word, you know, whether that be 
getting rid of debt or saving or building uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurial endeavors. I mean, just making sure that what I'm doing, the, the, thing, the steps that I'm taking every day um, are, are impacting the goals that I have for myself first. And so that's kind of the philosophy that that's, uh, I think I've stuck with through the years. And if you go on, here's a little, a little gym for you. If you go online and you, and you type in pay yourself first rap, Hmm? You might just see me rapping about the concept. Ooh, so. <laughs> I, like, I like a good rap. Somebody just sent me a rap about my podcast. I haven't checked it out yet, though, but I'm excited. Uh, that's that's love. That's real love when, <laughs> when someone makes a rap. And in the when you talk about paying yourself first, that what's beautiful about that philosophy is that it's not really abstract. You can start practicing that today. Yep. And talk a little bit about how you've you've practiced this and, and what, when you first kind of came to this conclusion, um, what was the first thing you did? Yeah. So, uh, the first time I, th- I think I remember noticing it was, um, w- was in my twenties when I was trying hard to save money at the end of the month. Uh, I was, I was setting a budget and then at the end of the month I had like, like five or $600 maybe left over and then I said, okay, let's take this and let's move it over to my savings account or some investing, investing account. And then that worked for that month. I was like, yes, I feel good. I saved money. And then the next month, it was maybe a little less money because I had spent more during the month. And then the next month, there was no money left over or I had to dip into those savings uh, to try to finish out the rest of the month. And so I don't know. It was savings to me was uh, something that never seemed to get anywhere because I had this approach of of saving last, you know. And so, yeah. And so the way I I made it happen in my life was I automated and I separated my savings. Mm -hmm. And that's another mantra that I live by. You got to automate and you got to separate. So (laughs) um, every month at the beginning of the month, as soon as I get paid or as soon as I get my income that comes in, the first thing that happens is. My, that money goes towards savings goals uh, and it happens automatically and happens in accounts that are separate from my daily spending accounts and accounts that aren't as easy to get to um, as my checking account. So it just happens and I don't even realize it happens and I don't have to try hard to make it right. happen. Um, it just happens. And I've been accustomed to the lifestyle that I live now, knowing that those things are happening and the money that is left over in my checking account is there's freedom in that because that's I, I get to spend all that money and there's never any guilt associated with it. I don't have to think about, you know, making smart purchases necessarily with that as much because I know I've taken care of my financial goals first. And that's such an awesome feeling when you kind of take all those things off your plate and you know that just whatever you do, you know, next is, is just uh, the icing on the cake. And the, the hard the things work that is are done. Important, mm-hmm. Yeah, the hard work's done. The things that are important to you are happening in the background. So I just interviewed Ethan Block, who's the founder of this app called Digit. Have you heard mm-hmm. of it? And basically have. they save for you, which I think is really putting it, taking it to the, to the real level, right? Because we don't like to save. As I say, I like having saved, <laughs> right. but it's taking the idea of automation to a whole new level where literally someone else is automatically paying for your savings, paying into your savings. So, um, I hear you. I hear you. Do you think that it was, uh, you did, were you under some pressure as a CFP, I'm sorry, as a CPA to get your finances in order? Was that, was that a bit of a, a carrot for you? Like I got to get my finances in order because I need to prove myself as like somebody who's really good with money as a, as a tax preparer. 
Man, that's a good question. I've never been asked that. And I really don't remember feeling much pressure associated with that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I had that. I mean, I, I guess, I guess the, like I said, the, the tax knowledge or the investing knowledge that I naturally gained by physically studying for the CPA exam and passing that and getting the accounting degree, um, I guess those things sort of naturally set me up to make it easier maybe to leap into the money management side and the budgeting side and realize how important those things are to make those sort of higher level things happen easier. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I have a good answer for that, but... That's okay. I, don't know. I, don't know. I was just yeah. curious because I think I, when I have guests on here who are, say, financial planners or um, even for myself, you know, I worked as a financial journalist for a long time. If you work in the money space, you sort of feel like you have to have your financial ducks in a row in order to be the role model or be the leader or be the coach or be someone who's going to help someone with their money. Yeah, I think because my career path was somewhat like corporate accounting, you know, I was kind of just in a cube and didn't really have many clients necessarily. So, I think that's probably <laughs> where that stemmed from. But yeah, but if I was facing down clients day in and day out, I can imagine that, that there would mm-hmm. be more pressure. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, I know that there, accounting is something that is in your DNA. It's something that is in your lineage. What yeah. would you say was your upbringing? What was your upbringing like in terms of the financial uh, teachings that you had? And what was your biggest money lesson? Yeah. So. When, uh, when I saw this question, I thought back to a time period when I was very young, like five or six, and my my parents actually kind of went through a tough financial time. Uh, my dad, like you said, is a CPA like me, so he's always had his practice, and that's always done well, but he also associated with uh, some family members and do some other investments and things, and it kind of put our family and his situation kind of in a negative place where we went from kind of a nice middle, upper middle class lifestyle to a very low income uh, lifestyle for a few years. And so from like five to eight or so years old, uh, you know, I went to a place where, um, you know, I just, we didn't have a lot of money, you know, and I realized it. And so I could feel it and I could see it and I could know that we were in that spot. And so I think that shaped me a lot. Um, my parents, I think the way they reacted during that time was to, uh, was to try to protect me from what was going on. And so maybe like money and the topic that that topic was not talked about enough, I think, in maybe our household because they just wanted to love me and, and, uh, you know, protect me, I guess, from, from the negative stuff that was going on. I mean, we weren't in dire straits or anything, Mm -hmm. horrible straits, but like, um, I don't know, money never really came up. I mean, even though my dad was a CPA and he always kept his practice, um, the daily budgeting, the daily, um, money management discussions never happened because I think my parents were rebuilding so much during those years that um, not that they were embarrassed of it, but they just, maybe they just didn't have much to say about it. Right. I don't know. But I think that shaped me. It was a sore so, subject perhaps. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I, th- I think I'm probably less uh, likely to take a lot of risk with my finances. I'm certainly less likely to do financial deals with family members or people closest, closer to me. Uh, because those of that situation is kind of seared into my brain. So um, that's kind of some of the like mm-hmm. the things that I guess I've taken away from it. If a family member asked you for a loan, would you do it? No, no way. No way. Would you give it as a as a gift? Uh, we've given money away to family mm-hmm. members, yeah, freely, and we love being able to do that, help family members out. But 
I share that philosophy. I kind of feel like it just, it's very rare (laughs) that you lend money to a family member, a friend, and it goes well. Yeah. And you might get paid uh, back, but it might not be when you expect it to get paid back. So it could just end up being a very uncomfortable situation. Yeah. I just don't want a reason to ever dislike people in my family or have a negative feeling toward people Mm -hmm. in my family. I don't want to set that situation up. So yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement. Okay. Let's talk about failure. All my guests have to answer this question. It's probably one of the more revealing of all the, of all the answers that they give me, but what would you say is the most, uh, your hardest time financially, your biggest failure? It doesn't have to be so cataclysmic, you know, it could just be that something that you regret, but it was an important experience for you. Yeah. I would say when I graduated college, uh, here I was this 22, 23 year old guy, uh, did pretty go- good in school, got a good accounting job with one of the big firms in town. So I kind of thought I was hot stuff, but I also had some student loan debt that I was now dealing with. also had a little bit of credit card debt. And the first thing I do as soon as I land that job is go out and, and purchase a brand new SUV, a $30,000 wow. vehicle. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, it just was uh, just I don't know. I, I guess I felt like I kind of deserved it or something, but um, it, it just wasn't something financially. When I got home, I checked how much insurance was going to be, and it was going to be something like two hundred dollars a month or something. So my, you know, it just totally blew my budget, and the the uh, you know the payment for the uh, for the vehicle was going to be ridiculous too. So all that to say, I just had these major regrets. Um, I actually called the. Uh, the dealership up and said, will you take it back? How long, how, how long later did you do that phone call? Like the it next was day. like a week, a week later. I t- <laughs> what did I they say? The, uh, they said, heck no, get, <laughs> get the heck out of here. And, really? and, and it was worse words than that. But, and then, um, I actually called my dad and I was like, dad, can you help me out in this situation? And I'm so embarrassed by this, but, um, my dad called up and kind of made it right. And I was able to take the car back and I, I lost my, uh, thousand dollar, a down payment on the car, but I was out of the, you know, tough financial situation. So it was just a totally humbling, like first time financial on your own kind of experience. And I just went away with my tail tucked between my legs. And well, you I think said, it was probably five years later before I bought a, a new vehicle. Yeah. Again. Well, I, well, another one, one thing that you said that really struck a chord with me is that you felt that you would deserve the car. Mm-hmm. And I certainly believe that money should, your, your hard earned money should be used to you enjoy your life. You should use it to spend on things that are meaningful to you, that you feel um, are, you know, that you earned in some way. But what do you, what's your take on, on some, on this mentality that, you know, I should have a certain lifestyle because I've worked so hard. Even if the money's not there, I, I need to have a certain lifestyle because that's just what I think I, I deserve. Uh, this entitlement that's sometimes attached to the way that we spend. Do you come across this and do you have any opinions about it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I do. I know what you're talking about. And I certainly lived that in my life. There was a phase where I went through where I said, I need to have these things. I need to buy these things or set myself up this way. This is how I see myself living. Um, certainly people around me are living this way. Uh, but I think just ultimately going through that experience, I realized that that didn't ultimately matter. And so uh, that didn't bring satisfaction or really that much value to my life. Um, what brought value were specific things. And it wasn't just sort of a, a, I guess, a lifestyle. It was more about 
options and freedom and opportunity, uh, and of course family, but it was, it was different than the, the happiness would, would come from places different than just the purchases. And so I think everyone has to kind of go through that phase. My philosophy, my, my belief is that everyone sort of has to go through that phase on some level in their lives to, to realize that they don't need those things, uh, to bring, you know, value or satisfaction to their life. So, um, Hopefully for people, it's not a big mistake. So hopefully during that time period, you're not like yeah. really, really You're not going into on. bankruptcy, right, right? Right. And so for me, I think because I was a little bit risk averse already, um, I didn't, you know, go down that road too far. But I think certain, unfortunately some people do before they kind of wake up and realize they need to kind of build back out of it and that those things aren't, you know, a part of what's going to make them happy in the long run. So. Well, it's a great story. And I think a lot of us can relate. I can certainly relate. And I, I can also add to that story that for me, once I started to make money, enough money to actually f- consider buying the things that I had only dreamt of buying, I didn't want them anymore because I actually knew how hard I had to work to earn those things. And I thought, it's not worth it. I don't want that. That's not going to make me happy. I think uh, a lot of people could relate to this period of your life where you're not making a lot you may even be in debt and you only wish you had so many other things because you think they'll make you happier. But once you actually get out of that hole and you start to make the good money, you realize those things have no value to you. Um, Well, you're lucky if you can get to that realization, I suppose. You are also the head of FinCon, Philip. You started this venture in 2011, correct? Mm -hmm. It certainly changed my life. I've connected with so many people, amazing uh, fellow financial nerds. And for me, especially last year as a, as a keynote speaker, it was a huge honor. And I got to meet with some great podcasters. I was sort of unfamiliar with podcast land and the whole territory in the market. Super inspiring. Months following that, I started the, the beginnings of what became so money. So my question to you is, how has FinCon changed your life? It's been, uh, it's been huge. It's been, um, just, you know, taking, taking, taking a step back. I mean, taking PT money full time was a real game changer for me. But then a year later, being able to start this conference, uh, be around all the people that were inspiring me, part my heroes, part my, uh, buddies and kind of, uh, you know, creating this, uh, creating PT money and creating this sort of online atmosphere of, sharing about personal finances, helping people, um, and all of us sort of progressing at the same time, learning to become entrepreneurs. And so it's been huge. I mean, uh, PT Money was somewhat known before, and and I was somewhat, I guess, known online before uh, we did the conference the first year. But after that, I mean, it certainly um, allowed me to get to know, you know, a lot more people in in the personal finance space and um, just deepen the relationships um, that I was building online because as more and more of our lives become online and the more people we interact with digitally, um, I think events and real face-to-face opportunities become very much more impactful, more important. And so, um, it's been a huge game changer for me. It, it helped PT money have success. Um, and it's certainly been, uh, an, an opportunity for me to, to start a new business. So, you know, FinCon is something that's for profit for me. And so it's something that uh, it's a business that supports me and my lifestyle. And I'm so thankful for it. And uh, it allows me to be the, the, 
the uh, the person who brings this awesome community together. And I really am honored to, to have that spot. So Yeah, you are our rock. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, though, that, you know, FinCon, I've gone a few times now, and I know it's been growing in many ways in terms of the uh, not just the number of people who attend, but the types of people who attend. So initially I would meet people who are traditionally just bloggers. And yeah. now you're meeting, I mean, I had coffee last fall with the editor of Money Magazine who was at FinCon. And um, there are a lot of more traditional media players attending because they know they have to really up their digital game. And a lot of the bloggers are the influencers that they need content. This is the place to come. What's the next iteration of, of FinCon. What's FinCon 16, 17, 18, 20 going to look like? Uh, where do you see it going in scope and yeah. scale? Yeah. So we have a lot of new things happening right now. We have lots of financial planners that are attending the conference. And in fact, they have a sort of a pre-event uh, young financial planners that are that realize they need kind of an online platform. And we know as bloggers know how to create that and do that, create good content. So they're attracted to that because they know it's a way for them to bring clients in. Um, that's this year. We're also having a, a fintech uh, startup competition where companies like you mentioned, like Digit, I mean, they're actually not going to be there. They're a little too advanced at this point. But new startups in, in consumer finance and investing are actually going to pitch to the FinCon audience. Uh, we'll, we'll select a winner and, and award someone sort of, um, you know, the people's choice, I guess, of FinCon for the next cool uh, fintech startup idea coming from the, the personal finance space. Um, but beyond that, beyond those, even those two cool, I think, things is the fact that uh, I want FinCon one day to be a place where consumers can come. You know? And this is sort of, I haven't really revealed this online anywhere. So this is special for breaking you. Breaking news, but, breaking yeah, news. Yeah, but I would love for us to have a day where we have uh, a consumer expo. So an opportunity for people from our audiences um, to come to FinCon and not necessarily talk about how to make good content, but actually learn from uh, some financial information. So, you know, hear from a fantastic uh, speaker, uh, be a part of our expo, maybe go through a workshop where you actually get help with your financial situation. So that's in the future, I think, for FinCon. Obviously, that would be more of a regional play. So we might have to move to New York or LA to kind of bring in a bigger audience. But um, yeah, I'd love to see like actual consumers and us sort of flip, flip it on its head where actually we're inviting our audiences oh uh, to, uh, to participate in it, to actually come and meet us, learn from us on hand. And uh, yeah, I, I just think, I think that's the natural progression. Get so. their credit score, get some money makeovers. Yeah. I think that would yeah. be brilliant. I'd love to help yep. you with that. Okay. Awesome. All right, let's work on that. Okay, so that's so money, but I want to know now, what is your so moneyest moment? Like your <laughs> proudest financial moment that is a very much uh, the epitome yeah. for you? Yeah, so for me, it has to be being able to leave my traditional financial corporate life and do become an online creator full time. So that was in 2000 or 2010. And um, it did, didn't just happen by a flip of a switch. My wife and I, I was lucky to have married someone in, in 2006 who um, is a team player with me financially. And so we've done a, a, a lot to you know, get rid of our debt, made, made some uh, emergency savings happen, 
make some big strides in our retirement savings. And so by the time PT money was kind of rolling around along and it was something that was bringing in some part-time income for me enough to where I could say, Hey, we could live off this amount. And if it continues growing, this could be something that supports us in the future because our finances were fixed because we didn't have debt because we were in a healthy saving spot. I was able to make that leap. And so that has been the, you know, one of the biggest game changers and certainly in my life. Um, and, uh, it all happened because, you know, here I am five years later, still doing this, mm-hmm. being able to start FinCon, um, all that happened because I fixed my financial situation. And if I was still in debt, if I was still lacking savings, still trying hard, um, then, you know, uh, I, I probably wouldn't have been able to do this. So, and to parent as well with such a, a relief because you have three kids. I know that yes. kids cost money. Um, how has being financially secure allowed you to have the family of your dreams? Absolutely. Um, in fact, that's that was another sort of reason that uh, I wanted to you know go out on my own because my corporate life was having me travel three weeks at a time to foreign places. It was nice when we, we didn't have kids, but now when we had kids, you know, it made it more difficult. And so um, having my finances fixed, being my own boss now allows me to be close to my family. You're right. We've added a couple more to the mix. My wife is able to, um, by choice, you know, stay home and, and uh, raise the kids and be here with them. And, um, you know, it's, it's, really a, it's really a cool situation. So we're, well, we feel really blessed. Yes, yes. Well, all of this could not have been possible without good habits. And you talked about some of them already, you know, paying yourself first, automating. You have obviously really good relationship with your partner, your wife, and talking about money and managing the money. But what would you say is your number one so money ritual? It's something that you do. It's a habit, a behavior, a ritual that just helps you stay on top of your money. Yeah, I would say it has to be our annual uh, savings. We sit down, we talk about our savings goals every year. It's probably around December, January every year where we sit down and we go through everything in our life that is a goal, whether that's saving for our kids' college or going on a trip that we want to do or uh, buying another piece of property or or whatever the goal may be or paying down our mortgage. Um, We sit down, my wife and I, and we just lay out our intentions for our life for the year. Um, and then we, we take the financial pieces of that and we say, okay, this is what it's going to take, uh, by this amount of time, we need to have this much saved up to be able to do that. And so, uh, we make sure that we are automating and separating, uh, savings that will achieve those goals. So every year we have that annual sit down and you can go on my blog, PT money and look at my savings goals and see exactly how much and what we're saving for. Um, and then, of course, you can see how we're uh, automating that process to make it happen. So that's probably the we, – we touch it once a year. I know you're looking probably for something more regular. No, but, no, I no. Mean, as long as it's conscious, you know, and this obviously yeah. is. Has there ever been a time where you have sat down, you've discussed your goals, you've planned it out, but you just didn't hit it? Uh, that's a good question. Um, because we automate, um, it's, you know, it's um, – I would say, yeah, because, you know, my businesses are, I don't know what I'm going to make at the end of the year with both my businesses. So um, there's certainly some times where we have to, you know, maybe not contribute as much to our 401k or um, you know, maybe not be able to give as much as we want. Um, yeah. So it happens. Um, and I think what we do to 
you know, combat that is we just have a baseline automatic savings. So mm-hmm. we have a very conservative amount and we're typically able to hit that. And if we, what we find is actually we, because we've set that more conservatively, we're actually able to do more at the end of the year um, if our businesses do real, real well. So. All right, Phil, are you ready for some so money fill in the blanks? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you're getting warmed up over there. Uh, if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say I won $100 million, I would. Man, that is a lot of money. Yes. If it was $1 million, you know, it would be easy. <laughs> but $100 million is like an obligation. Well, what would you do with a million? I'm curious. A million? Oh, I would just set my personal financial situation up for the future and then never have to worry about anything ever again. Yeah. So. I would be more self-focused with the hundred thousand, with the one million, um, with a hundred million though. Um, you know, I'd certainly get rid of our house payment. I would, um, make sure reti- retirement solid, but then I would do stuff for my family. Of course. Um, I'd maybe look at some more real estate. Um, yeah. So things like that. Are you bullish on I, real estate? Just a tangential question. Are yeah. you, yeah. You, are you investing and, you believe in you still believe in the in the power of, of real estate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know we're in the Dallas market, so we've seen a, a big boom here recently. So you're probably hearing a little bit of that reflected. Um, we do have a, a rental property; it's our old home, and it's done really well. So um, I would probably look to maybe add a couple more of those. Because you know I just had James Altucher on the podcast, who does not believe in buying a home. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting. You know, I think they're there. I I'm with you. I like real estate. I'm obsessed with real estate. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to go out there and, you know, just blindly buy investment property, but I do, I find it interesting. It's, it's my, yeah. it, it, it speaks to me. I'm not really a, a stock picker, but I love to follow the real estate market. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't see my home necessarily as an investment. I mean, it's true. It, it, it default becomes that luckily, um, for us, but, because we're going to be here for the next 20 years. We have kids that are going to be in this school system. We know we're going to be here um, unless something really blows up our plans. But, you know, I think if you're in that situation where you know you're going to be somewhere for 15, 20 years, then I think buying a home makes a lot of sense. Otherwise, I kind of agree with James that renting is a good option for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But on the investment side, I love real estate for rental properties, for flips, for things like that. So I think there's two mindsets there going on, right? Um, and and I, in some ways, I, I almost wish we didn't have to deal with, um, you know, su- such cash outlay for our personal residents. Um, but we like our neighborhood and we like the school here, so we'll, we'll do that. But I wish I had more of that money to put into to rental properties that could create some income for me because, you know, I'm just living in this thing and it's just a <laughs> pure expense right now, but. But you love it and it serves a purpose. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better or both is? Uh, getting my lawn cut uh, yeah. by a, a little guy here in the neighborhood. Uh, I'm, and I grew up cutting my own, you know, having a lawn service of my, for myself. Um, I've cut my own grass for a long time, but this year I've just finally said let someone else do it. Well, your little boy, who's my the age of my boy, eventually you'll have a baked-in lawn cutter for you. There you go. I wasn't even thinking about that. Good job. So mm-hmm. I just got to make it I'll just take commission. Four years. I'll take commission. <laughs> okay. um, my biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on is? Uh, probably here in the Dallas 
Fort Worth area. There's so many good restaurants. So I'd say dining out. Mm. We do that a lot. Yeah. See, whether you live in New York, Dallas, <laughs> middle of a country, food is entertainment it's now. Food. People go out to eat to really, it's a, it's a whole, it's an event. Yep. It's not it just is. to, you know, feed your belly. <laughs> One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is. I would say, um, I didn't realize how much, um, income from like entrepreneurial endeavors could be like real game changers. Like there's like an exponential factor for running your own enterprises that, uh, can be huge for your money. So. Absolutely. When I donate money, I like to give to blank because. I like to give to my local church here, uh, because they, um, they give me a tax break. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, they do a lot of good work for uh, my local community here, and they share the good news. Nice. I've, several of my guests also are big supporters of their local church. I think it's great. And last but not least, I'm PT money. I'm so money because? I'm so money because um, I get to do FinCon and bring together an awesome collection of people who are helping, literally helping millions of consumers, people with their financial life. And so I'm so money because I get to bring all those people together. Well, I will see you September 17th through the 20th in Charlotte. Thank you so much, Philip Taylor. Everyone check out ptmoney.com. Go to fincon.expo.com. If you're a consumer, sorry, you can't come this year, but maybe in the future. And if you're a blogger, anyone who has anything to do with the financial industry, this is a must go event. And I hope to see all of you there. And I can't wait to see you in just a couple of months. Thanks so much. Thanks, Farnoosh. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Philip Taylor, his website is ptmoney.com. He's also on Twitter at ptmoney. All this info at so manypodcast.com where you can find the transcript and comments from this episode and all previous ones. And while you're at so manypodcast.com, click on the little Ask Farnoosh icon widget and ask me a question because every Saturday and Sunday I go through my inbox and find questions from all you listeners and try to respond to as many as possible in the weekend. And if you would like to connect with me one-on-one, I take it a step further and every Saturday I offer one free 15-minute money session with someone who has recently left a review on iTunes. So if you'd like to connect and you haven't left a review yet, Go on iTunes, leave a review. I go through all the recent ones when I record Ask Farnoosh and I select one person at the top of the Saturday show to get that free 15-minute money blitz. So I hope to hear from some of you over the week. And in the meantime, hope your day is so money.